all got dreams, we all want things But what you gonna do for it, how you gonna move for it, what you gonna be And do you believe, you can do anything But what you gonna do for it, how you gonna move for it, what you gonna be We pay our respects to the traditional owners of the land The Wondry people of the Kulin Nation Thank you for your Mother Earth, the place where we learn, play and grow. We promise to do our very best to protect our Mother Earth. We understand if we look after the country, then the country will look after us. Woo! So let's get into it. Toby, thanks very much for coming. I'm stoked to, I'm stoked to talk to you. I've been wanting to see, we've, we met along a while ago and you know, I, I want to sit down. You've had such a massive career, so I want to find out more about you and what you've done and what you're doing. But I always start off now, it's a new tradition, is what's your very first food memory? My first food memory uh, is, well, I grew up in um, a really creative kind of environment with my parents both being in creative uh, industry and my godmother was a Cordon Bleu chef. So my first food memory is probably um, being under restaurant tables as a really little kid because I used to get taken to restaurants a lot and... uh, but probably eating anchovies or something like that really? would be... Yeah, yeah, I grew up with that kind of stuff. Yeah, far out. Do you remember where or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, at my uh, godmother's restaurant. She's passed now, but uh, yeah, it was okay. called Napoleon in Turak Village. Oh, yeah, nice, back in the nice day. Area. Yeah, it was like upstairs, big heavy like red velvet curtains and yeah, it was cool. Anchovies, that's a, that's a fucking... That's a, that's, a, that's a good start. You're, you're often running with anchovies, you know Dude, what I mean? Yeah, I grew sure. up with, um, so my dad was a hairdresser, mum's a makeup artist in fashion. Yeah. Miranda Kerr, all these kind of people. Yeah, and um, then all their friends are photographers and artists. And it's much like me and my friends now. It's kind of repeating itself. So yeah, probably okay. Bird's going to be a bit of a nutcase as well, you know, growing up in a similar way. It's not but, a bad life. Birdie, in her first day of kindergarten at the school they go to, I was like, what do you want to take in a lunchbox? She was like, I don't know, blue cheese? (laughs) (laughs) Grapes, blue cheese, crackers. Red wine? Red wine in a a water bottle? (laughs) I don't know if you'll make friends that way, but you can do it, you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. So listen, you chef, author, TV presenter, restaurateur, podcast host, private chef, YouTube, now ready meal. It's exhausting. That's a lot going on. But also, let's go with our IT developer as well now. Yeah, I've, yeah, started, I've started learning a bit of coding and yeah. stuff, which is crazy. Yeah, well, you need to if you want to do it yourself these days, I guess. But all that, are you happy with what you've achieved so far? Um, I, don't, I don't know. Happiness is a strange word. I guess I just said to you as you were giving me a, a tour around your new facility, congratulations to you and Beck, by the way, and all the hard work that's paid off in this amazing place you've got here. But... I said to you, do you ever stop to look around and, and actually digest what you've done? And I don't really, probably I don't do that. I just keep going and, and I'm a bit of a maniac where I get ideas. A lot of them are crap and some of them are good. And yeah. um, That's and, ideas, I think. That's ideas. Right. You and, can't just have good ones. Good ones, it's just not like an endless floor. You hear songwriters say that they write a thousand songs for like, you know, a hundred good ones or whatever. Do you know what I mean? You can't just constantly have great ideas. Uh, I think Dolly Parton, I was reading, uh, (laughs) listening to something about her. I'm a big fan of hers. You know, she wrote two of the biggest hits in one day on the back of a napkin. She wrote Jolene and the uh, soundtrack to the Hitman or whatever it was, one bodyguard. Yeah. In, in one day on the back of a napkin. So yeah. some, some genius do. Yeah, look, in answer to your question, I think um, 
yes, I'm happy, but I'm also feel like I'm finding a niche now in something that I really enjoy. So I've done, I've done the chefing, I've done loads and loads and loads of different things. And I think all of them have kind of led to what I'm doing now. And I've started this microscopic business, uh, made by Toby and I'm really enjoying that because I'm doing everything I never started out to be a chef I wasn't one of those guys uh, or girls who sort of wanted to be a chef from a really young age um, and I wanted I didn't know what I want to be I kind of still don't know what I want to be but yeah. at the moment I'm really content because I get to do everything I was up to kind of midnight one in the morning working on the back end of this website which I had no idea what I'm doing but I'm mm. learning and I find that problem-solving element really interesting, as I do with food with the problem-solving now as well. Satisfying, isn't it? When you have a it problem is. and you manage to resolve it. You asked me before we started, who edits, you know, do you do all the editing and how did you learn this? Again, I just learned it myself. But not knowing a skill to then having a skill at the end of it is, you know, that's incredibly satisfying. For you know, Ken Block, the rally car driver, yeah, yeah, who yeah. passed recently. Yeah. I was watching, because uh, uh, I'm cooking, I'm listening to podcasts a lot. Ken Bro- Brock. Block. So Ken, is he the drifter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he did all the yeah, Jim Carner yeah, movie, yeah, movies. Last Ve- he did that thing on Las Vegas Strip and all that. All crazy stuff. Yeah, 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 he's um American, he, isn't it? Is yeah, he? yeah, yeah, yeah. He passed away really recently yeah, yeah, in a skidoo cool. accident. But he he's a total maniac. And I was watching, um, and I don't mean a maniac in his uh, car driving abilities because he got to sort of right up there on the world rally circuit as well. But from a business point of view, I was listening to a podcast that was done a few years ago. And someone was like, um, so, you know, you started DC Shoes, which DC oh, Shoes. Oh, yeah, yeah, the huge, shoes, are they? Yeah, shoes. huge company. Yeah, got yeah, bought yeah. out by Quicksilver or something, yeah. I think, a while ago. Yeah. But he was like, yeah, you know, I started it. I had no idea what advertising is. I had no idea. So I read books. And that's like you and I guess like me mm. a little bit as well. Not everyone's like that. But I think it's a great skill to have to um, be prepared to make mistakes and learn stuff. And just kind of throw yourself in there and, and understand how something works. Definitely. I've been involved with a lot of businesses where, big ones as well, where I've kind of been put in a situation where I've got to rely on people and I don't really understand what their job is. Whether I'm talking years and years, you know, yeah, 10, yeah. 15 years ago, yeah. that person's in marketing or that person does this. And I didn't really understand what it was. And so you don't really understand if they're doing a good job or not. You've got nothing to monitor it off, right? Yeah. Yeah, Because yeah, you don't know sure. what it is. Yeah, You exactly. just take their word for it that they're doing a good job. Yeah. You don't it's, know if they're doing a good job or not. Yeah. It, that, that's, it's pretty scary when you... That, you hear that a lot. Being a business owner, there's sometimes an element of that, right, as well. Mm. Yeah, it, it's, it's nice to have, a, to have a little bit of it, but it's a reality sometimes that, you've, that you do. I hear what you're saying that you got to throw yourself in and whatnot, but there's a reality sometimes you've got to, when you're starting a business, you've got to bring people on who... 100%. Like, a, you know, a quality control person or a marketing person, if you're not in marketing, and you've just got to have it go with your gut and, and hope that then people... But I think if you can have an, a basic understanding Definitely. of what's involved... Um, what what a good outcome looks like. Yeah, yeah. What, it g- yeah. gives you good. It gives you power, right? Absolutely. What and you, o- also to back that person up and give them direction because if you don't know, let them know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, because if if they're just doing their job, and I've been in this um, situation a few times where you're put in a situation to work autonomously, that can be kind of a scary place too because you don't you're not getting guidance probably from the powers that be and then they may not know exactly what they're looking for too. Absolutely. And then you can go off the off talking more on that. Then also you're like, 
is that all you've achieved? Is that all they're achieving? Yeah. You think you don't realize that that's like hours and hours and hours and hours of work, right? That could be a huge amount of work to produce this one piece of work, if, if, that, if that makes sense. Yeah. And you're like, is that it? Like, because, but if you don't know what the effort that goes into it, you might be like, this, oh, they're not producing anything, or they're not doing enough. Do you know what I mean? And then alternatively, if you bring someone in, we've had this problem before, it's where if you bring someone in, for instance, marketing, we don't have like a head, like a, someone with like 30 years experience or whatever else it is. So when you bring someone in, they do work on their own. And are they in their point in their career where they want to work on their own? Are they at the point in the career where they, they not that they don't want to learn anymore, but there's no one for them to lean on. Do you yeah. know what I mean? We've just had, we've got a HR intern in, but we don't have an, but, and he was like, oh, I was kind of like when at uni, he was thinking, he was saying, normally in these situations, I'd be working underneath someone. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. we don't have that underneath someone. So like, it's down to you. So it's, you know, yeah, I agree. It's, it's, it's a small business. It's difficult to manage that, to be honest. Yeah. On many levels. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. These people need a good brief and guidance. Yeah, like, yeah. like all employees do, because yeah. at the end of the day, they're not the boss and they, they need to know where they're going and they need that direction. Absolutely. And that can, again, knock more into that is they can get disheartened. Yeah. Almost, if you know what I mean? If they're just like, if you're not giving them the, they keep bringing you the wrong thing, but you're not giving them the right information. That's it, and man. And you both run it, you know, one's on, on higher ground and one's on lower ground. And if you don't find a, 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 a middle ground, you can end up parting ways. And, and it's no one's fault. It's just bad communication. And, and that often comes about because the person who has employed this person to fix a problem doesn't know what a repair looks like. That's a fact, and, yeah. And, yeah. Oh, it's a so real issue, this. It's a real issue. I've seen it happen horribly many times. Many, many, many times. Many well, times. Yeah. And it's something that we, we've skated on that on thin ice on that so many times. I think we skate on it quite a lot now, especially with marketing, is we know where we want to be. I always say we lay the road as we go along. That's one of the problems with what we have. We don't have a huge budget. It's not like we can just bring in a team or whatever else it is. So we bring one person in. We've never had that role before. Olivia, for instance, she's now running like key accounts and, and, and sales and things like that. We've never had a key account manager, sales manager. I'm a chef. Bex worked on the floor and in wine. We've never worked in this kind of thing. So like we bring you on, we've got to build this together. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. this isn't the, oh, this is how you do it. This isn't the, this is the person that's been in the role for two years, just follow their lead. This is like, this is you. This is the position. This is the end goal. We're going to have to build this road together. And there's going to be, you're going to get frustrated at us. We're going to get frustrated at you. But we've just got to communicate and realize that we're both trying to get to the end goal, have a bit of empathy for each other, and let's try and move forward. The big word there is communication. Yeah. Because often sure. that doesn't happen and everyone gets wound up and they just get super busy in maybe going in slightly different directions too. And then lack of communication problems start to happen. And lack of empathy. Yeah, I'll give you a good example. I got picked up, uh, it sounds like I was about to say picked up by the cops or something. Or, I, thought, or, I thought it meant like a or, rent or, boy. Yeah, yeah I, was, I could have got that direction too, man. So uh, that's not an Aussie term, by the way. It's oh, like, isn't it? uh, no, rent boy is a, a UK thing. Mm. I got uh, contacted by someone a few years ago and I went to say who it was saying, oh, we've got this chain of restaurants who want you to come in here and, and uh, help us with a menu. Yeah. I was like, I can do that, no worries. And I got in there and it was a total shit fight. And basically they were, you know, it was a really busy business. There was no structure with staff. There was no bosses. There was no proper training going on. 
And I was just a consultant on the outside here. I was to put a menu in place. Um, basically, that was going to be uh, subcontracted to a manufacturer and they were going to start bringing some food in that was already prepared and stuff yeah. like that. Starting Chain kind trying of to, yeah, yeah, trying to like streamline stuff and get consistency across a few venues going. It quickly became apparent that the head of the, uh, the whole organisation had no lovely person but had no understanding of how to implement such a thing. I wasn't employed to implement such a thing. Yeah. And I was, it was a horrible position to be in because I suddenly like felt like I was thrown under the bus here. It's like, man, you've asked me to like put a menu. I've done the menu. The agreement was that I can train two or three people to do it and they would then go off and, and do it. But yeah, it was a horrible position to be in. So I think really, um, and this all came about of you and I sort of talking about understanding components of business. Yeah. I think if you don't understand those components, you've got no, ch- you know, no chance. Absolutely. You don't need to be a pro at it, but you need to have basic understanding yeah, yeah. of it. And that, I think what you're saying there as well, boiling it all down, is people want to genuinely, genuinely, generally, people want to feel like they're doing a good job. Yeah. So if you do your menu and you've done your good job, but their their expectations are something different, and you come away feeling that you didn't satisfy them, and you know you didn't do the job that you, it was just a big mix miss up mix communication, you come away feeling deflated, like oh that was you know that was oh, great, angry yeah, dude, angry, angry. And frustrated, My, and all the rest of it. Right? Their understanding because I sat them down, I was like, what do you think's happening here? Well, we thought you were going to come in and just fix the whole business. <laughs> And I was like, shit, I'm only, <laughs> I'm only doing two days a week. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it. We thought it. you were going to like, you know, like um, overlook the whole kitchen operation of like four businesses. And I was yeah, like, fuck, that's a big job. Right. Yeah. So that, that was a lack of understanding on that person's part of what mm. actually happens within the business on a day-to-day running. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, what? man. Yeah, that was nice. So you that asked before nice. if I was happy. I am happy. <laughs> yeah, I, that's um, good. I so what, what was your ha- what's been your happiest time cooking, would you say? My happiest time cooking um, in, in restaurants or anything? Probably, Probably in your career, like professionally, not like sat at home drinking a glass of wine with your wife or whatever. I mean, that, like, that's a nice time. Yeah, but I mean like professionally, oh, well, learning or being around something or whatever. Yeah, I think um, I worked at, well, two, two kind of times pop out, well, many times actually, but my happiest times are always working with a really great crew. Yeah. And, and that can be anywhere in the world in any single kitchen. But, I mean, I had a time uh, when I was probably 19, 20, and I was working with some just a bunch of really energetic, cool people in yeah. Cafe Cucina and a restaurant in Melbourne. And we'd all been working there a while, and we all knew our stuff. And, it, like, going to service was heaps of fun, you know. You just knew you were going to – you you knew that the jets were ready to rock and you yeah, could take yeah. on anything. You've been in kitchens where it's like oh, that. Oh, for sure. And it's and like, um, like... No matter what comes in, we can deal with this. You, we wanted it to be busy. I yeah, remember yeah, like yeah. being there saying, you know, let's hope we do 200 covers tonight. We're like, give it to us. And yeah, you know, yeah. now in pushing 50, I'd be like, oh, God, give me the wheelchair. Like, <laughs> yeah. But so that was a good time. Also, I wrote... I was lucky enough to... Um, I opened a restaurant called 15 in Melbourne many years ago with uh, uh, Jamie Oliver and I got was getting quite burnt out and I was just, you've been in the situation where you're in a kitchen and you're just giving, 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 but you're not getting a lot of recharge. So George and my wife said to me, why don't you go to Italy for a while and just be there and just spend, you know, four weeks or something and just, just eat and just don't do anything. Of course, I'd done... I think it was three books at the time and my publisher at Penguin was like, you go to Italy, write another book. And I was like, oh, here we go. So 
So, but it was a great experience. So I spent six or seven weeks traveling Italy totally by myself with a very loose plan. And because I was by myself, I had the flexibility to be in a place and say, right, got what I need here. Let's hop on a train, go somewhere else. So I was like moving every 48 hours or something yeah. like that. But I had a time there where I bumped into a friend of mine who lives, um, have you been to Lucca in Italy? No, it's in, no. in Tuscany. No, I've been and, to Tuscany, but I haven't been there. Right, so up on the hill... There is a Lucas like a, a walled village, a very beautiful place, and it's yeah. mainly a walking village. Like you just walk around there. I sh- it's a small city, I should say, but yeah. it's picturesque as fuck. You know, it's yeah, like yeah. amazing, incredible food. And then you got um, the hills of Chianti Classico surrounding it, so yeah. amazing wine and everything like that. There's a villa up there called Villa Forci, and it has been passed down through many generations and. At the time I managed to get there through a friend of a friend, there was a lady named the Baroness who was there. And she and I, I speak Italian to a degree. We got on like a house on fire, like just, you know, she's swearing and she's into Led Zeppelin and stuff, having a really good chat. And she did this really cool thing. So the family farm, it's, I call it a farm. It's like, you know, 10 square Ks or 5 square yeah. Ks. It's a big area. And it had all these little... Uh, farmhouses on there and back in the day like we're talking you know 100 years ago or something one person's there making ricotta another person's making grappa another person's doing various cheeses and they all had a little role to play in this um you know walled food system in there yeah, they're making wine doing food olive oil yeah. is amazing and they've got the old uh kind of um stone olive oil press and everything still this died away uh, a couple of generations before her, and then she brought it back to life. So she basically got in contact with ancestors or people who were still doing these these artisan methods of producing these things. You can come and live here for free. You can produce on my land. You can sell it. You just got to give me some, like, you know, not to sell, but just to have it in my home. So, yeah, survive on. So one of my favourite food memories is being there with her. And we're just sitting there having ricotta that's still warm, with grappa from, you know, 200 metres down the road or something like that. Olive oil that um, was so cloudy because it's unfiltered and just the smell of this stuff, man. It's like you smell the olive oil and then smell around, it's the same. It's coming from the land. So I ended up making her like a little fresh pasta on the spot with like broad beans we picked. And I think one of my favourite food memories is just sitting with her potting broad beans with a glass of wine, you know, and just making very simple food with really simple ingredients and highlighting and showcasing those ingredients, which is kind of my whole ethos of food is let's not, let's not uh, change the shape of things if you don't need to. I remember having um, this kid working for me in Melbourne when we had 15 and we got the most beautiful, um, they're like black Russian tomatoes and they just come off the vine and they were like, you know, you smell them, they, they don't get better. And this guy's like, oh, I got this idea, you know, we should dry these out and we're going to turn them into a dust. So what the fuck do you want to do that for? It's like you do that when they're, they're, they're turning and they're horrible, but right now we want to put them, they're still warm almost from the sun. We yeah. want to bring the sun back in there and give them comp- complementary flavours to showcase that ingredient rather than changing it into something else for your own ego. Less that, is more, isn't it? Less yeah, is you, more, man. Less is it's more, like, an ego, exactly what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. And, and do you know, I think as, um, that takes a certain level of bravery as well as a chef. And maturity. Yeah. I think maturity as well is, is, is a big part of it. You want to show all your skills. as I can do this and I can do that and I can do the other way really 
just cut it, season it, put a bit of vinegar on it, and away you go. So another amazing uh, food memory is working at the River Cafe in London, which was all about that. It was um, very much that kind of getting the best ingredients and doing as little to it as possible. Yeah. And I remember sort of working there and... They built a restaurant on that, haven't they, basically? Yeah, yeah, it's insane. Yeah. And just, um, yeah, that, that was a hard place to work, man. They changed mm. the shift every single... Sorry, the whole menu every single shift. Yeah, that's, I've got... I won't get into that for sure. It's, I've, yeah. I've never eaten there, I know a lot about it. But you, you, you've done quite a bit of work with Jamie Oliver, as, you know, as we know. What was it like being around him? Well, being around it and him in that. You calling him it? Yeah. <laughs> well, he's, who knows? He's a bit of an he, it. You know, it, him, he, she. I don't know. The, you know, whatever. But like, is it, what was it like being around it? As in, like the the whole circus back in them days. It was like it was it was huge back. In, well, he's still huge now. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. But when 15 London was going on, and it was like just after the, there was an era where it was like it was everywhere, right? He was on yes. every morning show. And the whole thing, he was really pushing, and you were around around about that time. Mm. How, what was that like, just being around that? Crazy, that time? yeah, it was but... totally crazy. I think, especially coming out of, um, you know, but we're talking the late nineties here, so cooking's not cool at this stage. It's like Marco Pierre White's the one poster boy with the black and white shots in the kitchen and stuff. But apart from that, there's not much cool about cooking. It's definitely not sexy, and there aren't good-looking chefs on TV and. And the chefs who were on TV, uh, what was it, Keith Floyd with a, oh, with a yeah, bow tie? He, he's always drinking. It's uh, a different, Floyd, um, it was a different Floyd thing. Gross, is it Floyd Gross? Anyway, whatever. You know who I'm talking, yeah. yeah, yeah. Where's the shirt and the dicky bow, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah What's it called? Dicky bow. Dicky bow, yeah. yeah. That's what it's called, isn't it? I don't know. I don't bow tie, bow tie. Bow tie, dicky bow, whatever. So yeah. it, it was a different time. And so um, I met Jamie, and this, this is just totally by coincidence, but I started working at the River Cafe, like literally a day or two days after the first episode of The Naked Chef went out. Mm, mm. And, um, sorry, I was only, so Matt, can I just say that, that morning, it's funny mm. she said that morning, I was lying in bed, um, at like 7.30 in the morning, there used to be a TV program called, uh, The Big Breakfast. I don't know yeah, if you know no, The Big Breakfast. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Jamie Oliver was doing, a, 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 it was a live TV breakfast thing. He was doing pasta, mm. um, live at 7.30 in the morning, eight o'clock in the morning to promote his TV show that was going live that night. The Naked Chef, episode one, season one, episode one, you know, just fucking this amazing thing. This young guy, big hair, fucking loud shirt, the whole thing. And I was like, and I was about 16, I think this would have been about 1995, 1996, I would have thought, I don't know that. And I, I've wanted to be a chef forever, and I was coming to the end of my schooling, and, I, and he was making this pasta. He kind of fucked it up, but he's on the night TV, he's a young lad. He would have been young, 21 yeah, or something. Young, yeah, he's young, having a crack, fucked up a little bit, but like... It didn't matter. That wasn't. It didn't matter. He was just having a fucking a red hot crack at it. Heaps of banter. Heaps. Of, and I just thought that is fucking super cool. And from then on, I followed him quite religiously. He's a, it, like it was just like from that that time. It was a it was a real time in my career where I was leaving to become a professional chef. He was starting that career, like his TV career, and that. Yeah, it was just a mega. When you said the first night of him, that was my first memory of him. So that would have been the morning of that first night, basically. I think Jamie would have got huge regardless because he's so flamboyant. But yeah. there was, um, I don't know if you know the story, I'll tell it real quick. But there was uh, at the River Cafe before I started working there, Darren Simpson, did you ever come across him? No. 
Do you know him? I've, so, I've heard of him, but I so, don't... Yeah, Darren Simpson is an Irish lad. He's passed away now, unfortunately, mm. but he was um, head chef at the River Cafe. So I get to the River Cafe, everyone's like, do you know Darren, do you know Darren, do you know Darren? I was like, why would I know Darren? They're like, oh, he's gone to Australia. I'm like, well, I'm here. It's like, like not all Aussies <laughs> know each other, you know? Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, Darren apparently... Uh, and the story is secondhand, but it's, you know, I think it's true. Basically, Darren uh, chucks a sickie one day, calls in at the cafe, can't come in today. So they call up Jamie as the day off. Jamie's like, oh, I'll come in. BBC cameras are there doing the... Uh, Channel 4, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I don't know. I it think was, it's Channel um, 4. Oh, maybe not. Maybe. I think Chris, anyway. Christmas at the River Cafe. Yeah. So there was a thing they used to do every year with Rose and Ruth looking at all the food they serve at the River Cafe around Christmas. And Jamie's there cranking past or whatever he's doing. The cameras just kind of gravitate to him. And Jamie, because he can talk, uh, not everyone can actually talk and cook and be yeah, quite yeah. interesting at the same time, but he does it really naturally. And uh, apparently after that went to air, he almost got a call from every network saying we want to do a show with you because nothing existed like that at the yeah, time. Yeah, like yeah. A young, and he made cooking accessible. It wasn't this... Um, and it was so like rock and roll. He was in the band. He had the hair sliding down the banister on his Vespa. Yeah, and, man. Like, all his mates were coming round. It was fucking sick. The way it was shot, the music, they used like it was very stereophonics. Jamiroquai cool. and, and all that stuff. All, it was like, like you say, end of the 90s. It was like, it was a real moment. And yeah, and the question was, was it, what was it like being around Yeah, it was it? crazy. So I basically uh, was back in Australia. He called me up asking if I would go back and be head chef of um, 15 London. So you were working at River Cafe with him at the time, is yeah. that what you're saying, right? Yeah, well, and then I you was, left and he, I, he had that career and then he asked you to come back. Yeah, he had about two years of that career. Yeah. And um, he did some really smart things. Like, I mean, as his star started to rise really quickly, he sort of thought, oh, we're heading into season three of this show now. Why are they making all the money and my money staying the same? And why is this agent making all the money? So he o- opens his own agency. Nice. So he's like, oh, I have my own agency. Get some other people on board. They rep me. I make money. You know, he's just done yeah, smart. Yeah, 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 this yeah. production company is making all the money. I'll start my own production company. He's doing this at like 21, 22 yeah, years smart, old. Yeah, smart. Yeah, it's really smart. So anyway, we opened 15 and it was supposed to be like a 40-seater restaurant, no TV show and a restaurant with a purpose that's going to help kids. No TV um, show? It was supposed to be no TV ah, show when right. we first started. Yeah. So when he pitched it to me, it was like, come across, going to be a 40-seater restaurant, which is what I had at the time in Melbourne, which was cool, and I've done that. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that actually, but yeah, go on. Yeah, and then um, instead of... He asked me to do it. I said yes. And about a year went by between actually making the commitment to let's do this restaurant on Jamie's part mm. to actually finding a location. So in that year, they landed Channel 4 TV show. They landed location. So what starts as a 40-seater restaurant, no TV show, starts as a 150-seater restaurant. And you'd already said yes. Of course I'm going to do it. It's yeah, a great yeah. opportunity. I was also at a crossroad with my own cooking where I was kind of pretty over it yeah. at that stage. I'll come back yeah. to that. But basically, um, it was nuts. We like open with this uh, six-month waiting list immediately because it's got a t- prime-time TV show in the UK. Journo yeah. is literally outside the restaurant 24-7 because at the beginning of a restaurant, as you will remember, you're often in there till one or two in the morning yeah, when you yeah, first get it going. So they were there the whole time. So do you want to just go through the concept of what a 15 is? Because there'll be people... Because I think it's been and gone. It might still be running, but it hasn't got the publicity. Yeah, the it people, feel, people feels that, like it's in my life. But it's like these young kids, you know, they won't know what... So 15 was um, basically... It was a social enterprise restaurant. So 
Jamie came up with this idea, influence from a bartender he used to work with, I think, who came up with a similar thing for working with grog. So basically, being a cook, being a barman, some of these trades are one of the one things you can do without any qualification. You can learn on the job, which is really good for people who have um, maybe been in and out of juvie and just... Not even, maybe if they've just had a really hard time for family reasons, whatever it is. And also it's their, their way of learning. Yes. Simple so, as that. Yeah, so I had a real trouble learning at school. Me too. As did Jamie. So, as did I. Okay, so cooking was the one thing. It was the first time my life actually got in there and I did something and someone gave me a pat on the back and they're mm. like, man, you did it, that's great. And I was like... Fucking hell, I've never, that feels good. I've never <laughs> yeah. had that before. Because it was just at school, it was like, yeah, no, he's not cutting it. He's not doing it. It's just bad, 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 bad. No positive feedback for 13 years. So then you get in the kitchen, make a calamari and rocket salad, and you, you're getting a pat on the back. Feels good. So we took that same um, idea and put it to 15. So the idea with 15 was that we would work with... Um, Oh God! What do you what do you call it? Not social workers, but but uh, agencies that look after people in troubled backgrounds. Yeah. Whether that's trying to rehabilitate into the world, coming out of you know many years in juvie, or some of these kids weren't bad kids either. They were um, in bad environments, so mm. they're they growing up in houses or in foster care. Is there bad kids, or is it just always bad environment? That's another question. It's always bad environment. Always, always. It's the pre-programming. I've been listening to a lot of. Um, this guy Gabor Matti recently who's a psychotherapist and he's basically putting everything back to the pre that kind of pre-programming you get in the first early years of your life which kind of sets you up and you can change that but it's hard nature versus nurture isn't it it is man 100% I believe yeah me too um, which is why we're such good parents with our kids. But, yeah, so basically 15 was a social enterprise. It was an existing – it was a running restaurant which had paying customers that would come in. You would have working chefs. Originally the idea was there'd be no chefs in the kitchen. It was just me and Jamie and all these kids. And I was like, that's a crap idea. And it sounds it's going to be – it's impossible to start with. Like how are we going to do 150 covers a night with – pulling all these kids through anyway yeah. so someone needs to know what they're doing they don't here. turn up and things like that which as well, happen right? a lot course, so course. yeah so basically you got a running restaurant and we'd open a charity parallel to that and the charity all all this started with no direction so it was kind of like the the idea and the will to do something good was there but there was no understanding because it hadn't been done before of what we needed so it was much um we kind of got into the restaurant and we're cooking for people and we're like what are the kids doing? Oh, they're kind of just standing on the side there because no one's, because we're busy. The the kitchen's in flight. So then I suddenly realised, oh, okay, these kids need a head chef. So then I put one of the sous chefs as their head chef and we started putting this little infrastructure in place specifically Laying the road as you go. As you go. Yeah, exactly. And so it ended up that the kids almost had a separate separate what's the word they had their own infrastructure so originally they were to be part of the kitchen they always were part of the kitchen but they also needed more than that so they needed their own head chef who could chase them up if they didn't come running they needed their own head chef and this head chef had nothing to do with running in the kitchen it was just it was a people manager somebody yeah. who would look after them support all the rest yeah, of yeah. and make sure because sometimes these people these these uh, young people would rock up and they would have been through horrific things you don't want to hear about oh, and my mum worked looked after kids in care I yeah was, I was brought up around this so and you tell something's wrong and you know but at the same time you get 150 people for lunch so you gotta that beast has got to keep moving so to have that that person there in Australia it was Glenn Flood you've yeah, interviewed yeah. him yeah, so yeah. 
Glenn was amazing. and uh, He's got a phenomenal character as well at that kind of thing. Who is that guy, man? He's like a total <laughs> maniac. The first time I met him, he like came up to me. He's like, oh, good night, mate. How you doing? He's like... <laughs> Glenn's, Glenn's uh, what, far, he's, he's not a, a, yeah, he's not tall, a tall man, guy, yeah. also the biggest person you've ever met in your life as yeah. well, but I remember walking around the corner a couple of times and seeing Glenn give it to the, like, really having a hard word with these kids who were like 6'2 and stuff. Gangster, like, gangster. Dude, he's like, you yeah. don't do this, you don't do that, like, yelling at these kids, yeah. but, they, you know, he had the utmost respect of everybody, but, yeah, anyway, 15, we did that in London for, I did it for two, two and a half years. I came home from work one night and, and Georgia, was, uh, who's my now wife, was kind of getting a bit homesick and I'd done the job for two and a half years and I was like, oh, let's get the hell out of here, you know, it's still raining, we'll go home and, and I was getting homesick. So yeah. we decided, Jamie gave me the blessing to do 15 and, but he really wanted me to do something different. He was like, why don't you, because he'd been to Melbourne a lot, loves Melbourne, he's like, why don't you do like a pasta bar here? Hadn't been done. And you can roll fresh pasta on the bar, like a couple of places we've been to in Italy, have it like a bar-style restaurant. So you can walk in, like you know in Japan, we can go in like we are now, and you just sit at the bar, chefs directly opposite you cooking and just passing the food it's across to you. It's huge now in America as well, table, uh, I think they call it bench, bench restaurants or something, table restaurants. Yeah, but yeah. we want to do it, you know, like 15, 16, 17 years ago. Mm. It wouldn't have worked. It's like when we came to Melbourne and we did 15 here, People were like, why the hell are we paying like $30 for this tagliarini with rabbit ragu? We're like, well, the pasta's hand-rolled. Like, you see that guy there? He's rolling your pasta. It's just pasta. Like, well, you know, yeah, yeah. Melbourne's come a long way since then mm. and it was, it was a bit uh, I love that building it was in. I don't. Do I hate it. Like it. <laughs> with so many problems. Uh, yeah. that, that, that's the reason we closed it, is yeah. that building. Yeah, I heard, I heard it's the, a few restaurants have been through there, to be totally honest with you, but yeah. I, love, I love that, you know, going down the Paris end of Collins Street, hang down the alley, down the steps. It's like, I don't know, it feels very like... Have you been to Philippe Michel's restaurant down there? Yeah, Is yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, I, mean, I went to yeah. there and I went to when Gerald had it. Right. And I had it and before... I, I think I've been to it every time. I never went to it when I was 15 because I yeah. wasn't here when it was 15. I've been to every one since. I love that restaurant. I love, I love that, uh, that room. I know you said, I know a lot of people say it's got nightmare and sewage. And it's, 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 just, you know, it's a heritage list of buildings. Yeah, exactly. So you're dealing with, you know, 100, 120 year old sewage pipes and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. We had a particular problem that went on for four years. That was the end of the business in the end. We just had, we had a smell of raw sewage coming into the it's restaurant. It's all fixed now though, for just for the record. Like you go in there, it's beautiful. I don't know if they fix it. I, I located, <laughs> I yeah. located the problem at the end with an engineer, but yeah. it was, um, not an easy fix. You, mm. you kind of, and this is what we were talking about before, you rely on people that have a skill set you don't to help you fix problems. I don't have a skill set with plumbing and stuff like that. Yeah. So I'm like, we're going we're gonna to poo more in the restaurant. What's going on? Well, it could be the grease trap, could be this. Spent hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to fix this thing and closing the restaurant. And in the end, it was um, a pipe that was under the road that was so old, it was made of terracotta or something. It wasn't <laughs> even on the maps and it had poo floating around there for yeah. some reason it was a complicated issue but yeah yeah, yeah old it's buildings it's a great spot it's a great I, lo- I love it I do love it um, a friend of mine bought that old 15 restaurant 
that old building. Howard Eggleston, he's called. He bought, he, uh, he's put his steakhouse. Oh, the actual building yeah, itself. I don't know if he actually bought, he bought the lease. Oh, he's ah. got, his restaurant is now in there. I used to work for him. We opened a company called, well, he owned it. And I, we, we, I ran some of his restaurants called Hyde Bar in the northeast of England. But now he's just got another thing called, I think it's called Port House or Is that the Gerald, Gerald's Bar one? No, or? no, it's in, in England. No, the one in England. Oh, okay, in gotcha. Ah, the, the the, yeah, yeah, yeah. That original building, that yeah. 15, he just put in a steakhouse in there, like, Two year, a year ago or something, yeah. And then it? another thing from 15 here, Max, I don't know his surname, Max, he, he was a part of that 15 group yeah. in, in Melbourne. He and, was awesome, I remember yeah, Max. Yeah. And now he he's just come back for a period of time. He's now working at a two-star, or was working at a two-star in, in America. So that's it, you know, from 15... To two star, that's that's like a real, it's an amazing success. I've got a couple of kids I trained, one in England who's done really, really well. And it's funny because some of the kids, you know, when they're young and they're with you, you see potential and you sort of think, oh, they're a bit of a smart ass or they're cocky, they're not going to stick with it. One of them's gone on to get freaking one or two Michelin stars mm. himself, yeah. like as a chef. Yeah, yeah. Released a couple of cookbooks and like the nicest guy I've ever met. But yeah, um, amazing. That's what it can do. It can, it's humbling. The kitchens can be a very humbling experience as well, right? Yeah. Do you know the cool thing with that project is that what we learned, which we didn't know when we started it, we thought we were training chefs. But what we quickly learn is we're not training chefs at all. What we're doing is giving people confidence within themselves that they can actually achieve something, which is what I learned through cooking. But yeah. what a lot of these kids did is they... I, I reckon probably only 10, 15% of them actually stuck with cooking, but mm. all of them went on to get a job because up until then they just had failure, failure, oh, failure. Or even if they didn't get a cooking job, they got a job. Yes. Yeah, they give them the confidence to... I to, can do this. I can do I can this I can do now. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I've achieved a, this, but I hate cooking and that's fine, you know, it's not yeah, for everybody. Yeah, yeah, go and do what you want to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you accepted, right? People do accept you. Yeah, I had this kid who was, um, came, he'd been through some horrible stuff and... To say he had post-traumatic stress disorder would be, take, you know, putting it very, very lightly. Yeah. And um, these are like 19-year-old kids. They've just been through horrible, horrible stuff. And it's hard to shake off. But through 15, I mean, he was never going to become a chef. I could tell in the first week that he just didn't have... Um, you need a certain amount of thick skin, I think, to survive in a kitchen. And mm. he just, he, he was too emotional and just couldn't, you know, every time somebody raised their voice slightly because he was about to burn himself, he'd start crying and yeah, there was things yeah. like that. But he took, um, I guess, the confidence he got from everybody in the kitchen who did an amazing job. He became like a manager at Dick Smith. And I remember walking into Dick Smith Electronics Store one day and he sort of came up and he was like, hey, Toby, I was so proud like Definitely. to see that guy. I was like, holy shit, this is... And, um, you know, it's funny in our careers because a lot of times you go through these things and at the time it's absolute hell and then like total hell and the hardest thing you've done and everything about it's hard. But then you have things like that come along and you're like, oh man, it's like so oh, worth for it. sure. I've, yeah, I, I get messages on Instagram and different things. I got a message today saying that guy's changed his career. He's a teacher, but now he's teaching young kids how to cook he's you know this that the other and it was because he's watching me and he's got inspired and decided to get on this food journey like they're the things but thinking about them kids honestly i know you did 15 of them but i could genuinely cry to think how many kids are out there that are just having a fucking shit time of it it's just in kitchens or in general just in general like who just they're just born in a bad situation or the you know they're just the mum zigged when she should have zagged or the dad you know was in a whatever it might be it, and it's no fault of their own, but they're just in this 
fucking shit situation. I heard a lovely... It's terrifying. It's so sad. I heard a lovely saying recently where the one thing we must try and do as parents is not create a situation which our kids have to recover from. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You don't want to have to recover from your childhood yeah. with getting all this therapy and all this kind of stuff. For sure, but it's not easy though, man. It's, it's like being easy. a parent's it, hard. It is. It's really hard. But you know, I just think, yeah, these, these you see it, right? It's, and it maybe even that, even when you really look at it, even Jamie always tries to do a lot of this as well. Like, but you know, even if they're just getting a good meal, do you know mm. what I mean? That 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 can be a fucking a win for them right literally just a good meal could be yeah. a win for some kids well also just being in a situation where they're maybe not sitting in front of a TV by themselves feeding and just having someone to talk to and uh, hey how was your day today you know yeah, what well, was the high what was the low yeah like, yeah giving a pat on the back yeah stuff. do you hate this food <laughs> so, yeah. do you like it what's going sure. on with it with all that going on with all everything that's ha- was happening around that time and everything that you've happened in your career, have you ever have you ever suffered from any anxiety or even like um, imposter syndrome or anything like that? What's imposter syndrome? Imposter syndrome is something like where oh, you're yeah, in get a it, position. I, I don't. Do you know? And you so don't feel like you, sh- you, 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 you should be. You, you don't deserve be, yeah, to be you, there. You don't deserve to be there. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I watched uh, Dave Letterman with Billie Eilish the other night. Have you seen yeah, that? I haven't. Where he interviews them and they I both suffered know, yeah. from that. Was, it was pretty cool. I don't know that It's I, very common. It's very common in a lot of things, yeah. I don't... I probably... I don't know that I suffered from imposter syndrome. I definitely suffered from anxiety. Like when... Um, yeah, big time. It's like basically if you look at what I did in my life, I kind of went from restaurant to restaurant to restaurant to restaurant and I was running a 40-seater restaurant to suddenly running a 150-seater restaurant um, with not a lot of structure around it because we're all kids with the, the keys to a Lamborghini, um, <laughs> but none of us had licences. If that, That's probably a yeah, nice yeah, analogy. Yeah, I get it, I get it, yeah. And that's what 15 was back in the day. We had yeah. no one sort of saying, you know, this is the food cost. It's a, we, dude, we were just buying. Truffles, sick, we'll take 20 grand worth. Yeah. Tuna coming from Finland, you know, tuna coming, that's hand-caught. Let's get it like FedExed over here. And just, it was yeah. out of control. So when I came back to Melbourne, so basically I just went on this, um, you know, normal cooking trajectory and then I went up the highest part of the roller coaster real quick. Yeah. And I stayed up top for a while and then when I was in 15 Melbourne, stuff got really hard because I suddenly was um, not having fun I was just dealing with problems the whole time, which is often the life of an exec chef. But I was also 31 years old and I was a part owner, director of that restaurant, a director of the charity that was running it as well. So I'm liable for, you know, I don't know, 1.5 million a year in fundraising, which is something I'd never done before. You had to get that. With the help of other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'd yeah. never done that before. <laughs> Fuck so I'll be knocking on people's doors. Yeah. Can they borrow me 20 quid? But because yeah. I was um, young, you know, and we've got a TV show coming along and stuff like that, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll be a director. Let's go for it. No worries, you know, stupid things to do. But yeah. um, also helped a lot of people out. So it's, it's you know, had its, had its uh, warrants. But basically I got to a stage, man, where I'm working in the kitchen. I was like, ah. Oh, Someone's like, oh, there's Georgia. I was like, where? And they're like, oh, it's over. I, I couldn't see. And um, I started losing eyesight quite rapidly. And I ended up going, Georgia's like, uh, uh, then I had a car accident. I crashed the car. Not badly, but I shouldn't have done it. But I couldn't see. And so my eyesight was deteriorating. I ended up going to the doctor and I realised the GP had no idea what was going on. So I ended up going to a specialist 
and I had one of these scary, scary days. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but you go to a specialist and they're like, right, I need you to go see this other specialist ASAP. And I was getting bounced around. I was in Cabrini Hospital. So all the specialists are there. And I spent about almost a day just like, we can get your appointment in 10 minutes or an hour or whatever. I saw yeah. like five specialists. I end up with this thing that's basically brought on by stress called central serous retinopathy. I've s- that's a fucking fancy word. Dude, basically what it means is you get so, you got fight or flight. What is it? Yeah, fight, fight or, or flight. flight. Yeah. When you go into flight mode, yeah. your cortisol levels go through the roof. Yeah. And so my cortisol level, my, their levels were always through the roof. So I've been on this like thing since I was 19 and it took, it took this for me to understand what was going on. But most people, they get out of bed and they're relaxed and they're cruising along. I was getting out of bed to start work at six and within five minutes of getting up, I'm, whoosh, I'm, I'm, I'm going, I'm going, dude. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the whole day. And so when I was getting, you know, if the line's kind of here, when I'm bouncing, you know, the line's here for normality, I'm waking up here. Yeah. Most people, when they're getting stressed, are getting to here. But I'm here already. So when I'm getting stressed, I'm going, dude, I'm going up here. I'm seeing red, you know, when I'm freaking out. So basically what was happening was I was getting so stressed, I was getting a leakage of fluid behind my retinas that was damaging my eyesight. So the doctor said to me, you need to go and see, like... um, a therapist or something and work out what to do here because you need to you got to bring your stress levels down and I went to see my GP to start with and she said right let's hook you up with some Xanax we're going to give you you know these like anti-anxiety Fuck. pills and heavy stuff and as she was talking I kind of stopped listening and I was so getting more and more blind as she was talking yeah do you know what I mean <laughs> but as she was talking Robbie I started to think man, this is a Band-Aid, I've got a serious problem, and this is one of these first times in my life no one can actually help me. Um, These drugs are only going to Band-Aid it. So I started doing yoga, and I'd never properly done it, and I remember going to the first yoga class, and I walked out, and for, I reckon, the first time in my life, everything was still, and I looked up and was seeing, I wasn't on acid or anything, but I'm Mm. like seeing leaves move in the trees. I'd never stopped to notice that stuff before because I'm always rushing. I was like, holy shit, this is what mindfulness and like being still is is about. So I started doing yoga. I got quite addicted like I do with everything. You know, I I never go in lightly with stuff. It's like, we'll fucking do it. We go all the way. So I'm going to do yoga five days a week. But I dropped that liquid behind my eyes, my eyes healed themselves within three months. I'm going back to the uh, specialist every three months because it was quite a serious thing. Yeah. And um, and I could have gone blind. He was like, I don't know whatever you're doing, but if you'd like to document it, I'd really love to te- you know, give this to the other patients because yeah. whatever you're doing, it's working. So basically it was a real eye-opener for me. I, I was bet. like, I can't... Literally. <laughs> <laughs> I can't keep going on like this. I've got to slow down. And yeah. so I started... Um, at that time, I was out of kitchen. So we closed 15, 2012, and I'm suddenly at home a lot. And a lot of chefs, myself included, I didn't know what to cook at home. Like, I know how to cook restaurant food. So suddenly I'm at mm. home cooking ravioli al sole. We're having all this... You know, we're getting happy hips, man, because we're eating, like, restaurant food at home every yeah, night. Yeah. And so I started like walking, which turned into running, which turned into training for marathons. I'm doing yoga a lot. And then my publisher, you know, now we've got Instagram. She's looking at it going, what's all this like food you're cooking? There's no pasta. It's like grilled fish with kale and garlic and chili. And how's the food we eat at home now? Bang, start writing a book called The Chef Gets Healthy. And the crazy thing about that was, uh, this is cookbook number four for me. It was the first book I'd written, which was not, 
It was a, it was a home cookbook. It wasn't like didn't have anything tricky in it. It's yeah. just like very simple cooking techniques. There's no flour in the whole book. Georgia lost 10 kgs of body. She's not big anyway. Mm. 10 kilos of body fat during the test cooking of the book. Like she got shredded, dude. She was like, you know, don't don't hit me kind of thing. She was like <laughs> proper. She was hardcore. And so, and the crazy thing about this, and I'm not going to get um pushy on the kale or anything but we we got to a stage with kids where all our friends had had kids were like oh george is like do we want to have kids i was like oh not really we you know we're going overseas two three times a year at the moment i was traveling a lot with work which was awesome we're having a good time we've got a sports car we don't want a kid coming and mucking all that stuff up but we thought maybe we should at least see if it's possible so we went to see if it was possible and did the test I had an awkward moment. I won't go into it because it's a little bit dirty, but, you know, where you take the sample and... Uh, you have a wank in a cup, you mean? Yeah. Basically, they said you can either do that. You've got to... You've got to let's call it a sample. Yeah. <laughs> you've got to put the sample in a cup. You can either do that at the lab or you can do it at home and get it to the yeah. lab. I've done heaps of these, for the record. I've done fucking heaps of Well, these. I've done it once. But I've done, like... Probably 10. I've done this 10 times. I've done, so you know, the lab. I've done fucking heaps of these. Well, I didn't fancy going to the lab. I thought, we're doing it in the comfort of home. And they said, but you can... I like the way we're on, you know, talking about jerking into a cup on a cooking thing. Yeah, anyway, right. but, it's but, life. So it's life. it is life, man. And I, a lot of chefs go through this kind for of sure. stuff. because especially the heat and all the rest of it. Well, apparently the heat's not good for you, yeah, for sure. your fellas. Yeah, for sure. percent yeah. So anyway... I won't tell the story because it's a bit weird, but basically uh, I will tell the story. I get the sample. I've got it sitting in the uh, passenger seat, you know, jizz in the cup sitting there. And I'm driving across town and I get to the lights. It's like a hot Melbourne summer day and the Red Bull girls are there. And one of them leans straight in the car and goes, do you want a Red Bull, babe? And I was like, oh, yeah. And then she looks down. And, man, she, you've never seen anyone move so quickly in your life. I was like, and... You should say, do you want to get pregnant? Oh, dude, no, too far, Robbie. But basically what happened was the results come through. The Jewish doctor we have looks and looks at Georgia and says, so the problems with you, to me, I'd like a one in a million chance of getting uh, pregnant. She said, so if you guys get want to get pregnant... It's IVF. She said, for you, it's probably pretty much 100% stress and your previous, um, you know, lifestyle of working in kitchens, yeah. oven next to the nuts, not good, slow cooking the, um, yeah. the little swimmers and stuff. During the process of this, uh, this life change I went through, you know, which was one of the fondest memories of my whole life was actually I started getting up at four in the morning and going running, not every day, but like eight, 10 Ks. Yeah. Um, I just never felt like this before. I was like, this is awesome. I was lucky because I had some pretty heavy consulting gigs at the time, which yeah. were bringing in good money, yeah. but working from a computer. So I'm not working 80. I had 80 hours of my life back a week, yeah, which is a huge life change. Yeah, I reckon. So at the time, Jamie, I've been working with Jamie on various projects, not just 15, but like in TV shows, but also behind the scenes on a lot of stuff. He asked if I could, when he became the Woolworths ambassador, whether I could help him do some content. So I was up in Sydney filming and it was a big production. There was like, you know, I'm going to say 30, 40 people on set. It was like yeah. quite big. And, um, you know, you got the client off in the green room watching on monitors. It was Woolies. It was a big Yeah, I've, do- I've only ever done one of them. And that, it wasn't nowhere near that big. It was like maybe 12 people. No, we'll say 12. It was probably six, but, you know. Whatever. Did Iron Chef America? But, but I'm going to say. That was pretty intimidating, to yeah. be honest with you. It's pretty intimidating. Yeah, used to it. Yeah, yeah. But 
basically, anyway, this going. story ends in like one second. So, so what I'm saying is 12 was intimidating, 40 or 30 would be fucking terrifying. I think it gets, e- I think it gets easier, the bigger. Yeah, okay, okay. So basically, I'm filming and I was killing it this day, having a really, really <laughs> good day. I was on fire. Mm. And you know, some days we were filming. I used to do a lot of filming. You'd have good days and not so good days. I used to find it hard because I was cooking Jamie's content. So when someone says, Robbie, show us how to cook this, that's easy to do because it's in your head. When you're cooking someone else's recipe, it's not, it's not muscle memory. How would he do it? Yeah, well, you've got to do exactly how yeah, he's yeah. doing it because that's what you're getting paid for. So anyway, they did cut, did a bit of a set reset. I went for a piss. I had to have my phone off. I turned my phone on and there's a positive pregnancy test, just a photo of it from my missus. And I was like, what the fuck? Because they, they said to us... Um, oh, I know what you're going to... I know exactly... I get it. Well, I they totally said the, the only way you can do it is IVF, but yeah. we decided not to do that. Yeah. Like, that was the, the choice for us. So we got pregnant naturally. And I, mm. I to this day, maintain it was diet and um, lifestyle. Yeah. That's Huge a great thing. story. Yeah. Thanks, dude. And yeah, and, and she's a handful. <laughs> yeah. So one, you, you're gonna you're obviously just one. You're sticking. With one. Oh hell yeah, dude! I'm getting old. It's like one's exhausting anyway. Yeah. She's exhausted. I mean, she's the most amazing thing that's ever happened to me. But she was. Um, I couldn't do two. No way. So I mean, Zach downstairs has three. Yeah, I, I mean, a couple of my friends have got four. Like I couldn't, I couldn't. Yeah. Shannon Bennett's got six. Six. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You laugh. <laughs> Don't you love as well? They add four, and then the fifth comes along, twins. Oh, so it's just like... Six. Six is mega. And anyone that... Yeah, that, God knows how you do it. God knows. I was going to say, you, you worked kind of changing gears a little bit, and I want to go back to River Cafe, because it's such an iconic, world-renowned restaurant. Mm. What would you say was like your biggest takeaway from there? Like, I was doing the restaurant. Chris downstairs, he also worked there, and I always feel like the people that work there... Are, not similar, but no, they are. They're different. They've got like a. The, they, they all come in like this kind of bubble. You kind of know. You could say I worked in because I could have, I could have fucking, I could have picked that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's a total. It's it's like back in that day, there was the Gordon Ramsay kind of camp. Yeah. Hardcore. Let's call it Michelin camp, yeah. where you've got yeah all the French, uh, Frenchish restaurants in London. Yeah. Um, probably similar to the ones you've you worked at or mm, my yeah, friends have worked yeah, at yeah, back yeah, in sure. the day, Le Tonclair, all that kind of stuff. And then the Gavroche, and then the River Cafe was just something totally different altogether. But I landed there totally by accident. I was working in Italy, and I had a girlfriend at the time in Italy. I came back to see my parents, and she said, I'm going to move to... I was in Melbourne for about a month. And she said, hey, I'm going to move to Paris. I've been accepted to a university over there. Do you want to come? I was like, hell yeah, I'd love to come to Paris. So I'll come and cook in Paris. Because I wanted to... It seemed like, you know, at that stage, I've been cooking Italian food for a few years now. Let's Let's cook some french food so i arrive in paris to find out she's been shagging my best friend oh, but, beautiful. She, but she told me like 10 minutes off the plane i was like <laughs> you wait till I, what, you know i just flew across i flew like 24 hours you could have told me this so yeah, yeah. you know anyway it was a great thing i just said to her look this is sucks obviously you know the relationship's over but this is a bad thing you've done woman i'm gonna sleep on your couch for a week and i just i mean was heavily into skateboarding so i just skated paris for like a week um had an awesome time by myself no mobile phones back then Mm. i think i had discman and just go see the eiffel tower just skateboarding around and and i had a cool time and then i basically got to okay what do i do now i didn't have much money as you you know when you're in your 20s and you're a cook so either we go back to italy where i got lots of contacts go back to australia which seems like a crazy thing to do uh, and then 
I ended up calling a friend of mine from Melbourne, uh, a girl, and she's like, oh, I'm in, I'm in London. Such and such is here. There was like six of my female friends all sharing a place in London. They're like, come over. And I was like, okay. So hop on the Eurostar, go there, get there that night, get really pissed or something. Mm. I wake up the next morning and I'm like, just felt, apart from being hungover, just like had no idea what I was doing. I was like, well, you know, I'd been working in the Italian Alps, Lake Como, really picturesque, beautiful places. And suddenly to be in London, it didn't, you know... Concrete uh, jungle. Yeah, it's like it didn't... It wasn't, wasn't enticing to me. And it's also... I, my dad's from London. Oh, and is he? Yeah. Well, originally from Weymouth. But I went to England every year of my life. They took me over there to see his parents. And nice. so it wasn't a novelty thing for me. Like a lot for a lot of Aussies, it's like so a real novelty. So that's how you managed to get around because you've got dual nationality. Or yeah, right, got dude, it, got it, got it. Yeah, I think at one stage I was like, but I could have three passports because I yeah. got the French as well. But yeah. it was always English Aussie. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, basically I'm there, and one of my friends says to me, "Well, why don't you try and get a job in London?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I guess I could do that." And I've had a lot of luck and right place of right time in my career. So, my parents had given me a River Cafe book. And for some reason, it's in my snowboard bag. And so I should mention that I've always traveled. My whole career has pretty much been led by snowboarding. Yeah. It's like, we'll go here because I can go snowboarding over there. Or, you know, that's close to the mountains. Or I can go there because I can make good money to go snowboarding after mm-hmm. or something like that. So I've worked a few seasons where people, that's all, yeah. They go yeah. somewhere for the summer and then they go back skiing. And yeah. they go to Canada for one summer and then they come, yeah, a lot of... I started cooking because of snowboarding, yeah. basically, is how I got into it. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Basically, I called the River Cafe and I was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here and I've worked at these places. Oh, they're like, can you come in this afternoon for a chat? Like, the love oh, Aussies as well, right? I think heaps of Aussies. Yeah, the love so Aussies. Yeah. I walk in, Ben O'Donoghue, I don't know if you've heard it. He's yeah, in the kitchen. He's like, oh. I, was, I staged at um, Titanic. Right. Oh, Do you remember ben. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ben back in the, this is like. Ben was head chef, right? He was head chef, yeah. Okay. Ben's a really close friend of mine. So mm. Ben, um. I hear this, day, mate, where are you from? Ben's got a more Australian accent after 10 years in London than someone living in Broadmeadows right today, you know? And, and uh, he was like, oh, I think I skateboarded there. So he was like, oh, you skate, I surf. So we're, we've got an instant, we're yeah. board riders, got a bit of instant connection and stuff. Um, I got the job. She, being Rose, who interviewed me, had, had eaten at some of the places I'd worked at in Melbourne. And um, so I got the job, start the next day, and I moved up the ladder quite quickly there because I'd done um, extensive work on Italian food. Not the kind of Italian food they were doing, but I had uh, a basic understanding of the food they were doing. The kind of food I'd been doing in restaurants was Australian, um, Italian, you know, restaurant Italian food. Just kind of tricked up to the local audience a little bit, but they were more doing better versions of Italian home cooking. And I think at that time, man, it was voted maybe best Italian restaurant in the world. I couldn't imagine. It's it's amazing. Yeah, it's up, and it's been it's been doing that for years, right? Not just like a couple of years. It's been on the scene for what twenty years or something. It's amazing. I was yeah. so lucky because I got to work with Rose a lot. Mm. Like I, I, she used to roster me on in the morning with her, and I used to start pastry. I'd get in there and do the pastry section. You know, it's like an eight o'clock start. It was like mm. pretty luxurious. Then everyone else starts at nine, but you start at nine, then you've only got three hours to prep a menu, which you find out the contents of the menu at about 9.30. So yeah. really got two hours to prep for 150 people from scratch. Mm. It's full on. Yeah, and, yeah of course. And you got no carry carryover mise en place from the day before. 
It's mm. like um, they might say to you, well, we're going to make a pasta so you can start making a pasta and then they hand you a mise en place list at like 9.30. But mm. I was lucky because I got to work with Rose a lot and she and I, I think, really gelled. Um, and because I could speak Italian, they used to bring kind of nonnas and stuff like that over from Italy and show them how to... They'd put them in a corner and make... Someone would document it, and that pe- person became me quite a oh, lot. Nice, because I could what speak. Experience with... that is. Yeah, it was pretty cool. But I mean, I'd been doing that in Italy anyway. Yeah. Before, so. So, what would you say the biggest takeaway was that you've implemented in your career moving forward? From River Cafe. Yeah, from River Cafe. What would you say? Definitely um, simplicity, and simplicity. as you said before, less is more. Yeah, so it was, okay. it was that having the balls to actually, rather than putting three hours into taking an ingredient and changing the shape of a form, texture, whatever it is, something else, spend the three hours on sourcing the ingredient and finding the best one you can get and let's do as little to it as possible. Not for everyone, but it really resonated with me. Yeah. And then you, you had your own restaurant, and did you implement... Is that, is that what you implemented? That? I, had a, I had a restaurant, yeah, straight after River Cafe. I, so I went from River Cafe to Switzerland. I was yeah. working in the Swiss Alps, and the place where I was working... They also, it was a hotel, and the food wasn't great. Really lovely people. Yeah. Still got bumps. Oh, good. Mm. You've been there before, haven't we? Yeah. Where there's a recorder <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to make sure. All good. All good. All good. <laughs> so I'm in Switzerland, having an awesome time. Wasn't working in a great place, but I didn't care because I started work at 2 o'clock each day, and yeah, I'm snowboarding every single day, and I'm in the freaking Swiss Alps in St. Moritz. And the family uh, who own the hotel, we got along really well. In fact, the wife was from Geelong. And somehow landed, uh, married a Swiss guy. So she really liked having me around and I liked having her there too. And we had good chats and, you know, we kind of come from the same hood. And they said, look, we own this other tiny restaurant that's not doing so well. Would you like to take it over? We'll give you a company car. It's got an apartment above there. I had a girlfriend in Switzerland at the time. And I was like, I would, you know, this is kind of me forever now. Mm. And then I get a phone call. It was a loose plan. I got a phone call from this guy I'd worked with uh, in Cafe Cucina saying, I've just signed a lease on a place. I want you to come back and run the kitchen. I was like, oh, man, you know, I really, I'm pretty set here. It's good. But I was also a bit homesick and we didn't have FaceTime. Yeah, yeah. We didn't have the internet. You know, you couldn't, I hadn't seen my mum for who I'm really close with for like two years or something. And I'd been overseas for like four or five years at this stage. I'd been home but kept going back over. So I sort of started um, thinking, oh, it'd be nice, you know, to be back in Melbourne. So I flew back. Uh, It was a mistake. I came back, did a restaurant with these guys. I started, I I was pretty shit at cooking, I think. I I was starting to learn some things. I had some ideas. I was really interested in cooking by now because for the first few years of my career, I didn't like cooking. It was a job to make money to go snowboarding. Yeah. But after Italy, I was really passionate about it. After River Cafe, really passionate about it. And I started kind of finding who I am as a cook as well, like what I like and what I want to be and the things that excite me. And so I get into this kitchen and I start putting a few things on. They didn't want a bar of it. They wanted to replicate food from the restaurant we'd all worked at before because it was a huge success. So they saw no reason to take a risk, which I totally understand, when we can just replicate what we've already done 65 million times. So it wasn't good for me. There was a lot of um, partying going on as well in that place. Like, you know, man, yeah. I was coming to work some days and there's like girls in the cool room because my business partners have been to like a nightclub the night before, brought people back to the restaurant to keep partying. And so I was just, yeah, yeah, fuck. Yeah, it's (laughs) no good. But funny thing is, so after there, 
I was quite deterred and feeling quite lost and overcooking and my desire for the hospitality industry had a solid burn through it and I was like, um, oh, fuck this, you know, I just I don't know what to do but I don't want to do this anymore. So a guy I was living with at the time owned a small creperie in the city and he was like, oh, it's crepes. Is that crepes, yeah. yeah. He's yeah. like, come work there for a bit. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to, but I don't want to make crepes or anything. I want to wash dishes. So I hung down the back of his place, washed dishes for about four months, which is one of the best things. I've done this a few times in my career where I've kind of gone up in a steep way and then I've pumped the brakes and taken time out for myself where I'm just like, I want to take a job now with no pressure, no responsibility. I just want to have some fun in my life because I think I'd, I'd had some mentor chefs who were older and just looking really stressed. They missed out on their kids' upbringings. They missed out on a lot of stuff because they're doing 80 hours a week. So I just wanted to make sure I wasn't going to be that guy. So I basically um, was washing dishes. I met Georgia in this place. Two weeks after I meet Georgia, I get a phone call from Jamie saying, I'm in town, I want to chat to you. And he meets Georgia for the first time. And subsequently, can you come back to London and run 15? So that timing for me was impeccable. Yeah. because I was kind of at a loss of where my career was going. I didn't want to go and become another head chef in another restaurant and, you know, working for some assholes or good people or whatever. I just didn't want to do it. Yeah. So that gave um, my cooking more of a purpose than giving people high cholesterol. It was, it was giving yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I get it. And you, you said earlier you've, you've always had a bit of luck or you, 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 you've been lucky. Why, why do you think you do get so many opportunities? Well, they say you make your own luck, really, don't they? Yeah, I, like, I agree. I do, I do agree on that, to be honest. But, I mean, there's got to be... There's got to be... I guess I'm not lucky. I guess I've, I've worked my balls off, man. I really have. I haven't stopped working for kind of 30 years, pretty much. Yeah. And um, I think... When I say luck, I mean, there's, there's luck involved. It's like when I got to Switzerland to find a job in a place where the person's Australian that there's a little bit of luck involved with yeah, that there's yeah. a little bit of luck involved with taking a job in a place called the Rue Cafe where you meet Jamie who I mean meeting him has been life-changing for me mm. it, it really set my my work and life on a on a um, on a path for many 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 years it still has yeah of course hmm. yeah I think also to be honest like not to answer the question for you, I think if you've got the, uh, the right attitude, if, you, if you're the yes kind of person, prepared to take risks, prepared to go from the highs to the lows in the sense of being a head chef to being a dishwasher and being pretty humble in what you're doing, I think that brings a lot of luck as well, just putting yourself out there and doing whatever. Do you know what I mean? I was never, never, ever, ever money motivated. Yeah. And it was always about what felt right and what made me happy. So, like, I... A couple of times in my life, I've gone to work in really great kitchens. Yeah. I've hated it. And I haven't stayed there for the sake of... When I was younger, I did. I didn't enjoy it. But you kind of... I think when you're a first, second-year apprentice, you need to tough, tough it out and sort of get through the pain barrier until you can start doing things. But, um, yeah, I've never been motivated by money. So I've never sort of been like, I'm going to do this because it's, it's you know, going to make me rich. It's always, I'm going to do this because it feels right. Yeah, and it yeah. feels like something I'd like to do. Is that including the books as well? 
You've done obviously you've done five books. Is it five books? Mm. And you you briefly touch it. The first couple I think are like Italian style food, and then the latter are all healthier style. Is that yeah. right? I think that yeah. yeah. And what what's been the process of doing that? I know you said you're cooking a lot at home. Do you do a lot of the, like? Do you have a photographer in? Do you manage the recipes at home? How do you get a publisher? How how does it all work? How does that whole situation come together? I'm going to use the word lucky again. And yeah. so when I came back to Australia. Um, so things have probably changed a little bit now, but there was a time in Australia where if you've worked in New York or London, people respect that. You could have been working at a fish and chip shop in London. Yeah. It doesn't matter. But if you just say, I've, I've just come back from working in London, people are like, ooh, you must be good. That sounds fancy. I think it's changed a little bit now with the internet and stuff like that. But yeah. um, I came back having worked in London, but also I guess not having worked in London, just doing that. I was the exec head chef, head chef whatever you want to call it, of... Jamie Oliver's first big restaurant. I'd done TV with him and we came back with um, the offering to do a Channel 10 TV show on primetime. So publishers came to me. Right. I was quite lucky. So, yeah, yeah. But that TV show almost fell over a few times because I wanted to do... We did a crazy and unheard of thing, which was we negotiated in the right to have final say on the edit for the TV show because one of my main things with dealing... So, Keep in mind, I've been working with the young kids in the UK for two years at this stage, two and a half years, and I they'd had a hard enough time. I didn't want any producers, TV networks, studios, anyone exploiting them anymore for the sake of ratings for their fucking show. Yeah, so it was yeah, like, yeah. if we're going to do this, good for you. Good we've for got you. to pre- they've got to be protected. Definitely. That's like they're not here to be exploited. Do you um, think they weren't sometimes in the original? Uh, I don't know. Perhaps. Yeah. Okay. Perhaps. I mean, look. TV, I've been around it a lot, not a huge... I mean, I, I love making TV, but I really enjoy the process of being... Um, I'm quite introverted most of the time. Mm. For some reason, I like being in front of... I don't like people talking to me on the street a result of that, yeah. but I like, I like the job yeah. of actually making a cooking show. I really enjoy it. But, um, yeah, I think in TV, there's just... There's just two different motives you know it's like as we know now from all the reality tv shows drama makes good tv if we did a 15 cooking show and all the kids come in and they're happy as larry and we turn them all into michelin star chefs there's no cuts no you know everyone shows up on time that's not good tv it's like you need the drama in there so there's you know, it's, it's this kind of opposing forces where we're trying to protect them and teach them and get them to be the best they can. The TV cameras wanted to capture some of the not-so-nice bits in their life because it, it's, it's what hooks people in, unfortunately. Yeah. So with the books, did you... Like, how did you do it? Did you, like, did you do it at home or do you... Like, no, how do you do so the photography? Do you, have, do you go to a kitchen or how does it... How's so it the first book was um, I get I'd offers um, from every publisher... Because i got a TV yeah. show coming with Jamie Oliver on it. It's yeah, yeah. like, um, and I wanted to go with Penguin because I, I didn't know anything about Penguin, but I knew that they, I like penguins. And I also thought they were, they're a big publishing house. I've heard of the name. And, yeah, yeah. and I also met with, um, who's a, a great friend of mine to this day, who was the head of Lantern, which was a subprint of Penguin. So it's like a mini publishing house within Penguin at the time, Julie Gibbs. And she was um, really cool. She published all Stephanie Alexander, Maggie Beer, Guy Grossi, like all, you know, Carly Kwong, Cara Martini, all these people's yeah, yeah. books. So it was like, if you know anything about records, it's like the Def Jam of, of, of record labels. Yeah. Like it really was. She had all the top guns. So 
I sat down with her and she was just like, so what do you want to do? I was like, oh, cool. And she was like, you know, let's do some skateboarding stuff in there. We'll do, you know, what's this skateboard you've got there? I said, oh, this is this um, skateboarder, Mark Gonzalez. He's like a really old school skater. I love his artwork. Why don't we contact him and see if he'll do some artwork for the book? And I was like, shit, yeah. So we did that and, like, you couldn't buy his artwork now. He's, like, got really famous. He's done illustrations right through my first book. In answer to your question, being... um, Bought under the wing of Penguin, you, you got all their resources. So, yes, we did shoot the first book at home, and it was crazy. I had Mark Chu, who is an amazing photographer. He rocks up to my house, and I've got the shoot list, which has obviously been all pre-approved. No assistance. Mark Chu's got one assistant. And we shot at my parents' house, because I lived in, like, a one-bedroom yeah. studio or something. And and they, they had a decent kitchen. It's kind of a bit like this. And he's like, oh, so... You know, there was no direction, which actually made a beautiful book because I think once you start to get good at stuff and you start to get in the momentum, you start to do things the same way. He said to me, so normally you have a stylist on shoots, but there's no budget on your book for this shoot. So normally you'll have like a lot of backdrops and, and, and textures to shoot on. And um, so what have you got? And I said, I don't know. What do you mean? He's like, you know, like bits of cardboard or bits of wood and things we can put a plate on so so it's not the same background every single time and I said well what about this and I I collect skateboards I had about 40 skateboard decks sitting there brand brand new ones and he said can we shoot on those and I was like is it like I like is that what you do and he was like it's never been done let's do it so if you look at that book, like I look at the cooking itself now and there's probably two dishes in there I like. The rest of it, I get shivers up by it. It's like, yeah. oh, the fuck was I doing? But, you know, it's like 20 years old or something. Yeah. But it was quite a groundbreaking book. It was like, it was one of the first books, I guess, to come out of Australia that, that was, um, I don't know, that Jamie Oliver-esque written by a young dude. It was 2005 yeah. it was released. But then after that went really well and that went into many languages as well when I was doing international book tours. Um, and then I ended up doing a follow-up to that, which uh, even more so. So suddenly we're not shooting at home. We're in a studio with assistants. And by book three, you know, we've got a big team. Yeah. There's like five, six, seven of us on shoot. And uh, My expectation though, right? Yeah, it's high production value. But they've also got the data that yeah, we know... Yeah, yeah, it'll sell or you sell X amount or whatever. I'm on TV a lot at this stage too, mm. so... Now, like, um, you, it's really hard to get a book deal these days unless you're bringing an audience with you. So back in, things were different then because we didn't have Instagram and stuff like that. So you yeah. didn't have your own audience unless you had huge, unless you are Jamie Oliver or had a big TV presence. So yeah. um, after book three, I do have an audience because I've got people who've bought two books. They'll probably buy the third and yeah. I'm on TV shows and stuff like yeah. that. But um, yeah, so that was pretty cool. They were all Italian, but I did some... I remember with the first book, previous to that, I was shooting, I was helping Jamie with one of his books in the UK. I don't know if I was helping, actually. I think I just wandered into the room and there's like a big shoot going on. He's got a big, big team and he's got a permanent team that kind of works with him, but for Penguin. So they work in his stable, but they're employed by Penguin. Because he does a book every year. So he's done one for, what, 22 books now, 23 books. It's it's serious shit. And, and he um, sells shitloads of them, right? Millions. Yeah, it's like yeah. I remember once he told me, 
you know, I got like a $30,000 upfront check for one of my books and he told me how much he got. I was like, oh God. <laughs> and his print run, first print run in the UK alone was like a million copies. Yeah, it's like my, a big print run in Australia is 40,000. Is it? For a, if you can do, like my first big print run was like 40 or 60,000 because they knew I, I had a TV show coming. Yeah, yeah. And a big Someone one asked me to do one and they said that 5,000 would be... would be 5,000 is good. Yeah. That's, that's still a big one. Yeah, that's what they said, 5,000. Things have changed now though. It's like yeah. you can get... Back then, you didn't have access to all this information you can just hop on your phone and get now. It's like mm. you, had to, you had to look at books. Mm. So You put me off. It was you and the ones that put, I'm sorry, put man. me off it. You were like, it's so much work. And it, it is. It worked, like, and I was like... Yeah, it's probably not. It's not for me. And also, when they asked me to do it, they they wanted to tell me what I wanted to do, and it wasn't what I wanted to do. I want, if I was going to do one, I'd want to do what I wanted to do, not what someone else was telling me to do. A lot, a lot of the time, they come to you these days. So, book number four for me was no. Book number five for me was a vegan book, and they mm. came to me right. Not in so many words. Vegan cooking is really popular. We know these other publishing houses are coming to the party with. X, Y, and Z vegan books. We need to do one. Could you do one? So it's not something I'd entered in to do. Yeah. But I actually really like the challenge of how do we do 120 recipes here, especially desserts. Especially if you've done them before and you're in that routine. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. yeah. I've done didn't... a bit of it, not heaps. Though. No, I mean you've done books. Ah, uh, books. Yeah. You've done... So you kind of, you know, it wasn't your first rodeo. Do you know what I mean? So you're yeah. like, oh, it'd be a good challenge because I've already done these ones. Yeah. Skateboarding and artists and all that. Yeah. So like you'd already had that. This is a new challenge. For me, for someone to come and tell me, oh, we want you to do this and we want you to do that, I felt like that, that isn't what I want. You'd be, you'd be best, yeah. So where I was going with this whole, um, where, with the last book I did, they had like a couple of Instagrammers. They're not chefs and it doesn't matter if you're a chef or not, I don't think. Mm. But if you are really passionate about, in this circumstance, cooking, um, they had a couple of Instagrammers who had a huge following of their food thing, you know, mm. and, and they were doing books with them. Yeah. Because the whole landscape of publishing changed. We used to get a lot of money. And then the money just dropped off once the internet boosted because you get all the content for free, YouTube. You don't need to buy a book to find a recipe for these things these days. You can Google and you've got 100,000 choices right there. And so basically now, and it's quite sad in a way, but if you have got like, like you've got a big following, if you go in with that, they're just going to piggyback off you. But, yeah, at the yeah. end, but at the end of the day, it's like, you know, here's your 20% of this thing you're working your balls off. Yeah, and, exactly. And now you're providing the audience too. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. But, if, but I don't mean to... Because they, they work very hard course, and they're, they're very good course, at what they do. Of course. Changing gears a bit, you've started, your own, you've started a new business, your own business, whatever it might be. Uh, ready, ready to go, ready, ready meal kind of thing. Nuts. Yeah. And, and so what got you... It start your own business again and not do more consulting and all the rest of it. Why have you started your own? And then, I guess, why did you go down the ready meal thing? And then also on the back of that, why did you go down the frozen yeah. area? It's like three, take like a three in one kind three of prong question. Yeah, three prong question. Three parter. Yeah, yeah. It didn't take a while. Okay, so I, in 2012, I started um, getting approached by, I got approached by one probably the biggest pasta manufacturer in Australia. I won't say who it is, mm. but um, fresh pasta. And I went out and had a look at, um, you know, it's the stuff you find in the fridge and it's little ravioli. Yeah, and yeah. they wanted to give me my own range un- under their thing. Yeah. There was a lot of money involved. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow, you know, that's, that's attractive. And I went out and they're all good people doing a good thing and providing a service. But 
I didn't understand the processes of what was going into this shelf-stable food um, yeah. and the amount of salt they were putting in to the ravioli. They're basically putting a cure with the amount of sodium they're putting in there to remove all the moisture from a ravioli filling because moisture makes things spoil and that's what's yeah. going to turn the product off. So they're, they're, there's no moisture in this whatsoever. And to an extent, you get the moisture replenishing through the cooking of the pasta and, yeah. and stuff. But I, I didn't understand all this. So that was the first hit. And then I see Jamie's doing food ranges. At the same time, in one of the last days of 15, I did a ravioli della corda. Do you know that? It's like, no. It's an intricate one ravioli, and I'm, I can do past pretty well. I've been doing it for a lot of years. Yeah. Um, it, one ravioli is going to take me 30 seconds to make, which yeah. is quite a lot you yeah, know, yeah, if in a restaurant. Um, I remember I was doing it, and I'd seen like a YouTube clip on how to do it properly, and I'm like, oh, no. I was very much enjoying myself. And then I saw it go to the customer, didn't give two fucks. And I was just like, oh, man, there's got to be an easier way here. And I knew the restaurant was heading towards the side of the mountain at this mm. stage. We've got so many problems going on with it. It was only a matter of time. So I started planning out my next thing. Right, let's get into a food range. Somebody asked me if um, they, I could do a food range with them. Didn't work out. So I basically left started working my own food range. So I started getting my own ideas. I did a food range called made that funnily enough that went into david jones nationally and i partnered with some people my job was to come up handle the production side of things which we did out of a small kitchen in doncaster i think mm. um, and i had an amazing chef working with me it was just the two of us and we're doing uh keep in mind this is 2012 2013 so we were doing things like braised rabbit also book or stuff like that and then putting them under vacuum in single serve it was boil and heat in a bag mm. meals this is really advanced for the time for the time yes yeah. What's even cooler, which I really started getting excited about, was I started working with this food technician who I, work, I spoke to him yesterday. He's a great friend. He's British. He's like probably, I don't want to get in trouble, early, mid-60s now. Mm. Nicest guy I've ever met. He started teaching me about using nat- natural acids and alkalines within vegetables to enhance the shelf life of cooked meats. We were getting like four months off an Osobuco refrigerated. Um, didn't taste great yeah, but it yeah. wasn't going off yeah, yeah so yeah. i started getting yeah. interested in that side of things the brand didn't live very long in david jones because they charged too much money for it and i also started to learn about a lot about business partnerships the people i'd partnered with on that their job was to sell it and distribute it and they weren't doing a good job of that so yeah. we pulled away on that then i did another brand which we did in woolworths nationally so all over australia once again it was crazy because we kind of we went in there for the meeting of of what we were going to do um, before we had done it. So we're going to do this brand. I, so I was an ambassador for Woolworths for oh, a while. Oh, so you hadn't had any, nothing was in place <laughs> no. or anything like that, right? Okay. So I had an idea yeah. and I met with this guy and he's like, he's in marketing and PR, very smart switch on guy. He's like, well, let's just hop on a plane. We'll go talk to them. You know the people? And I was like, yeah, because I'd like to contact some Woolies. And they're like, well, we actually need this. Can you give it to us in three months? I was like, shit, okay. So I've got to find. So we're chasing our tails. We've got yeah. the product. Um, I think it was retailing for like 6 or $7 for a small single-serve tub of vegan food. So it was all vegan. Yeah. And so basically I got to there. I started taking interest in supermarkets and what the general public was eating because I wasn't working in restaurants anymore. So yeah. I'd gone into uh, the vegan section and the only thing they had in the vegan section at the time, there was nothing with vegetables in it, funnily enough, for vegans. It was all fake meat and tofu. Yeah. Um, you know, those... Uh, 
TVP sausages and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this market is still huge. We've looked at this market as well, but it's... Well, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing yeah. now a bit. Yeah. So basically I had two food brands I learned heaps of, mm. and then I've been consulting doing new product development for some pretty large things as well. And then I got to a stage where I was just not overly happy with the environmental responsibility these large corporations, producers are taking on board. Mm. I wasn't happy with the quality of ingredients they were using and they were only furthering inhumane farming practices and inhumane animal slaughtering practices and all this kind of stuff because of um, the markups from supermarkets. So I just started to think something's got to change here, you know, and and I can't do this on a big level because I'm one person. So I'm going to do it the way I know how. I'm going to do it by myself at the end of COVID. I'll do fucking everything. So I know how to develop recipes. I can do that. I can cook. I know a little bit of food science. I know now because um, I started a YouTube channel years ago. So I know how to edit. I know how to create content. So I started to realise I've got... I know a little bit about marketing and PR because I've had a media career for 15 years. So I started to realise I've got a very vague understanding of most components I need to do this. So I'm just going to do it, you know. And I think I did start cooking for friends and within week three or four, I'm doing 300 meals a week out of the home kitchen. And so I thought I I needed something to do because I was getting sick of consulting and just, um, you know, just it's like starting a new job every time. And I just, Ben Shuri, a mutual friend of ours, we go snowboarding together from time to time. And he sort of one time said to me, I texted him recently to say thank you. He'll never remember this. But you know, sometimes that someone you know, it doesn't have to be a good friend. They might say something to you that really hits oh, triggers time. it. Yeah, yeah, triggers. yeah, of course. He said to me, man, you, you know... He was asking what I was doing. He was like, oh, it's like exhausting. He was like, why don't you invest in yourself? You got all the skills it takes. And I had that stupid light bulb moment where I was like, why the fuck aren't I investing in myself? Part of it was because I was scared after 15 went down. I I felt like that was a big, that really hit me emotionally. And I felt very um, bad about it. And it was a failure. And I felt, didn't feel good. So that had scared me off doing something by myself. Interesting, a bit of trauma. Definitely trauma, brother, yeah, and yeah, um, trauma sure. it was traumatic. Yeah, for sure. definitely traumatic. Definitely. Um, and so basically I thought, you know what, I'm going to start this. I don't want any business partners because they seem to have um, fucked things up for me in the past. Maybe I fucked things up for them. I don't know, but it hasn't worked out for one way or another. So yeah. I'm going to start this by myself so I've got no one else to blame if it fucks up. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. so I'm and it responsible. Made better foundations as well, not having that... Um, I was going to ask you, like, why have you started small? And you've answered that question already. But it, building small, especially if you've got a little bit of trauma or whatever else it is, it's starting small where you've always can easily have an exit plan. I can easily go back to work. I can easily do this. But when you've got investors and they've... You can't. Yeah, it's hard. You, and it's really hard. And the foundations that you're building on are very uh, are not as... Uh, there might be more stable within financial and and whatnot and, and, and like infrastructure but personally your personal foundations might be a, a lot more rocky having that hanging over your head yeah I'm, I'm totally um confident with everything we're doing but one of the reasons i probably could have gone and pulled together investment you know 10 mil to go and build a big facility and do something cool i don't know exactly what i'm doing at the moment man <laughs> it's yeah, like yeah. i've got i know that i want to create a zero waste model 
and I don't know exactly what that looks like yet. So one of the reasons I wanted to start it really small is as I, this isn't about money for me. It's like, um, yes, I want to make a living out of it. If we can make some good money, that's great. But what's more important to me is I build something that I'm really proud of and that is I can get to a zero waste model and hopefully, like if I can be as arrogant enough to say one day, and I'm not talking next year, but in two, three, four years, someone might say, well, that's that way you're looping and there's zero waste here. It's, it's maybe we can take that to a larger, you know, not an example, but if we could be an influence on anyone, that would be awesome. So yeah, the main yeah. thing I'm doing at the moment is I've been, um, when I write a recipe, it's pretty cool. So I've got a pumpkin curry, for example. Japanese? I, Japanese pumpkin curry. So I sit down and write. I've done my research. <laughs> yeah. So I sit down and, um, and this is more a now thing than, than uh, a year ago thing, but I sit down and I, I write out the recipe. Then I draw all the ingredients that I need for the recipe. And then I put a red line around any bits that are going to be left over. So out of a pumpkin, we're gonna, pumpkin curry recipe, we're going to have the pumpkin curry itself, the wrapper from that. And I start to point out where everything goes down to the pumpkin skin. We start to make, I'm dehydrating or drying that right out now. We make a pumpkin skin togarashi. So I'm trying to get this to a stage where yeah, it's Matt Stone's done this, an amazing job on this and Joe Barrett. Yoast, I'm speaking with Yoast Backer about this now. I'm just starting to try and pull people in to try and do something cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's the main reason I'm doing this is um, everything's okay. It's like the food's starting to get a little bit better because, I mean, I've been doing... We did a little clip the other day, which I've still got to edit, but it's like it made by Toby. We're very hands-on and it's kind of got me, you know washing the window and then me washing the dishes and me doing because it's very one-man band i got some help at the moment but i kind of want it to be that way so i can understand everything to see where we can um i don't know if better better things is the right term but make make things the way i want it it just goes to show though like there's people out there that want to start their own business and you we've gone through your career quite in depth and it's sure, you know, you've had a lot of connections and all the rest of it, and you've come back to starting it off small. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So what I'm saying is, there's people out there, you, you, don't have, you don't need massive investment, you don't need things. You just have to have an idea, a vision, a goal, and start nice and small. Do you know, this is the... So last night I was up to, I don't know, 11 o'clock or something, and at not one stage... When, when I don't want to do something, if I'm not happy, I've got a strong pull pulling me away from it. Yeah. Like whether it's, um, you know, cooking for a family, if I'm not enjoying that. I've, I don't, if I'm not happy, I'm not happy. Yeah. And I haven't had that at one stage with this. I'm up to 11 o'clock last night. I could have stayed up all night working mm. on, on solutions to this website because it's problem solving and it's, I'm working for myself and I'm really enjoying it. So yeah. that's, you know, I think as we start to get older, it becomes about doing things that fulfill you, right? Yeah, yeah. Not just about, not for everyone, I guess. And, and, you know, I guess everyone's in different situations as well. If you've got six kids, you've, you've got to do whatever it takes to put food on the table. Yeah. Um, so I'm a bit lucky where I've got other, other streams. That's nice. So, so what, can, tell us about it. What's the goal? What is it? Made by Toby, what is it? So Made by Toby is a frozen ready meal brand. So the reason um, it's frozen is to reduce food waste. So you know that we're getting about 40% of the 
food that's produced in this country is heading into landfill of some sort. Um, so, and you know, this is dictated by a lot of a lot of different elements. And so, I wanted to create something that we eliminate the waste from my end, but also the consumer end. You've seen the amount of times you buy something, you for get sure. busy, it goes in the bin. Definitely. You don't have to do that. This can stay in the freezer for four months, six months, and you pull it out when you're ready. I wanted to do something, I've done a, a cool little model where, um, so when I've designed products that have gone to supermarkets for other people in the past, they'll give you a food budget, uh, you know, a food cost, a retail cost, and so you know what the expectation is going to be and what you've got to work with. Most of the time, after a supermarket markup of 100%, so you're charging, you're selling to them for $4, they're charging $8, $9 for it, you've got uh, not much to play with with a food cost. By the time you're paying distribution, storage, packaging, the person yeah. that's washing the dishes, everything, you've got a food cost of, what, 80 cents? <laughs> something like that you're not using free range organic meat there you're using like um you know the cheapest meat you can get your hands on uh and then flavoring it up with lots of spices or whatever to try and almost mask that so during the writing of this vegan book i was vegan for a while um i really enjoyed it my wife we didn't eat i'm probably eating more meat now than i have for a while george has been pescatarian for 15 years and my daughter birdie is vegetarian because of our love for animals and so I wanted to do something, Jamie Oliver said something years ago, which was really cool, where he was always pushing people to eat more veggies. And we do as a society need to eat more veggies. In Australia, we've got obesity levels are going through the roof now. Diabetes is going through the roof. The food we're being sold is making us sick. And so I wanted to try and produce something that didn't have any shit in it. And it was just food. Then I learned about all the plumping techniques and all these different things from previous food brands. And I wanted to do something which is just honest so I can sleep at night. So I came up with the idea that if I'm going to serve a single ready meal, um, I'm going to use Gary from Pram Market, Cape Grim, Free Range Organic Beef. It's going to end up being $15, $16, $17. I'm not going through any retailers. It's direct to consumers so I can afford for it to you know be a little bit cheaper. But then I worked out Right, if we force people to eat more veggies by you order a five pack and if you're into eating um, animal protein, you get in a five pack of single serve ready meals, 350 grams, you get two animal protein and then you're going to get three vegetable dishes. It's not for everyone, but there's 5.5 million people in Melbourne now. So if I get, you know, 200, 300 people ordering a week, that's all I need. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Mm. So that's the model is, is I guess I get to spread a food cost across multiple dishes. And I like the way it's, um, like, for me, frozen, in, in, coming from England, frozen's a big part of our yeah. way of eating, right? We eat a lot of the freezer. To. Yeah. Where over here, it's not as common, I don't feel like. It's I don't, got a bad rap. Yeah, it's got a bad rap. Yeah, mm. it really does. But it's where funny. in England, it doesn't. In England, heaps of people eat out the freezer. But, um, yeah, so it's quite brave. And I think it's a great idea, don't get me wrong. I think, mm. it, like, I've got no qualms with it at all. Might be stupid. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll see. Time will tell. We'll have this chat in a year and yeah. see how we but go. I think it's very convenient. We've had them many times. Mm. And, yeah, I think... I'm not trying to take on Provador or anything like yeah, that with yeah. it. I'm just trying to give a better offering from an environmental and hopefully flavour point of view than our competitors in the frozen ready meal space. But do you know the funny thing is a lot of large-scale manufacturers, because there's this, there's this thing in Australia where people would rather have fresh. Yeah. It's got 60 days on it. It's not fresh anymore. Mm. It's 60 days. 
I, having worked 30 years in kitchens, would much rather eat something that was, maybe you would too, that's yeah. been cooked and snap frozen real quick. Yeah, it's like I say, I'm, I was brought up with that kind of yeah. stuff. It was super, like fish that's like frozen on the boat. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Not like, yeah, it's not like 12 days old by the time you get it. And I'm not talking, you know, James, um, Josh Nyland way dry aged. I'm talking like satin juice. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. that kind of thing. But are all your packaging sustainable as well? Or, or, or compostable? Or is garden, it? garden compostable. Yeah. So um, I'm about to change packaging as well because, I mean, I just had these kind of, it's called bagasse, which is pulp sugar cane. So that in itself is a byproduct of another production method, which is great because yeah. it's something that would have gone to landfill previously now has a new life. So I'm just about to go into another packaging from Italy, uh, which is made out of a similar thing, but it's got a tray still on Got to keep that Italian thing. Yeah. <laughs> just can't get away from it. Oh, dude, it's always in my blood, you know. So, <laughs> exactly. But that's got where I'm, I'm trying not to just be like the other brands. So I kind of like the packaging, but the problem I had with the existing packaging is it is porous. So... As food would thaw, it would absorb some of the moisture, which isn't good. So I'm moving to a packaging which has got, um, uh, you know, an organic film on it, and then it's got a tray seal, and we'll just put a little sleeve on there, and then off we go. Yeah, but, nice. Yeah, but the we spoke about this the other day when we have our little two second chats, dropping the kids or picking them up. But I don't, um, and I say this now, and I'll never say never. But my idea with this is to create something that, for me, makes sense. On a lot of levels, I don't necessarily, my end goal, my main focus isn't to grow this thing super quickly, um, if, if I'm able to, like if the business is there for it, and, um, you know, become like a competitor with Light and Easy or something like that. Yeah. Never say never, but the stage, you know, like I've, I've been really busy the past few years, like 20, 30 years, I've had yeah. a crazy career, and the idea of like just riding my electric bike to my kitchen cooking with some cool people for eight hours a day and then coming home and not having to worry about having 70 staff and, and that kind of thing, that's okay with me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. It seems like, you, yeah, you, you've got it all going on. It's all like, it seems like... In theory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But you know, like you say, electric bike, you, you live it, right? You live it. Do you yeah. know what I mean? You live the electric bike. I see you every day dropping birdie off at school on the electric bike and, you know, you, and you're using sustainable and you all the rest of it. So... Good for you for living it, and I think it's I think it's a great a great product, and I think it's a great option for people. You know, yeah. like you say, it's not for everyone. It probably yeah. isn't for everyone, right? Oh, it isn't for everyone. Nothing's for everyone. But there's a market out there that really care about sustainability. It's, it's a neat, it's that. a niche product, man. Yeah. It's but a niche product. People want to care about sustainability, and they've just banned uh, plastic straws and thingy, and it's all moving that way. You know, you 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 you're definitely ahead of the curve, in my opinion. Yeah, I've always um, been an early adopter, and for a lot of the time, I've been way too early, and it hasn't worked. Like that can we, be a problem. It, it is a problem. That can be a problem. I think, yeah, like VR and voice and all this. I think it's definitely going to happen. But if you go too early and invest all your money too early. Then when it does come through, you're out of capital. And yeah, no, do you know what I mean? And that can be the same. We, we did that with the uh, Mills and David Jones with yeah. the also book on yeah, stuff like I that. Said it, it was, was too early. early. I yeah. said that it was too early. Even now, I think potentially is too early on that. Honestly, yeah. even that boy in the bag thing, and it's been going since the eighties. Yeah. Even now, people don't quite understand it. It's maybe they never will. But maybe you know, the, the big thing, I guess, one of the cool things I did with my brand and COVID, COVID was really cool in a lot of ways, where I think it gave people permission to do things they would never do before. So if someone said to me ten years ago, like, "Oh, you're going to have a frozen ready meal brand," I would have been like, "Get fucked!" Like I'm, you know, 
I'm this great restaurant chef and and I've been probably humbled over the years for, you know, being a parent and, and a lot of things and um, just also probably being out of the public eye, I think, and just laying low and just working on things I enjoy. But, yeah, it's kind of gave me permission to do that. But it's also the biggest, the coolest thing that's been, which you never get with doing restaurant brand, um, restaurant, supermarket brands, is I've got direct connection with my customer. So they're not the supermarket's customer, they're my customer. Mm-hmm. So they're subscribing, they're... Coming, they're messaging me on my phone, not my phone number, but I've got like a messaging service. Yeah. So I've got direct connection with them the whole time. But the biggest thing was I've done a year of proof of concept. So when we've done some other businesses previously, there's been no testing the water. It's like, we're going to do this. We're going to put five mil into it, going balls deep. And it's stressful. It's like you open up, there's a lot of pressure and a lot of spaghetti to sell. Yeah. But with this, we had a year of concept. And I had the same customers ordering fortnightly for a whole year. So that told me we've got um, we've got a good proof of con- you know there's a business yeah. there. We so just need more of them. Is it is it a subscriber based model? We call it flexible subscription. Yeah. Um, so you can buy a one off, but it's more expensive. Yeah. But I'm really lucky, man. It's interesting with these kind of things now. It's like through my career, I've met some amazing people like Dave, who's a branding genius. And then I've got like Jeff Kennett is a, I cook for him, is the ex-premier. And mm. he's been an amazing mentor to have. Like he's done, you know, I've just, I've got some, um, a lot of grown up mentors around me. Some of them are only a couple of years older, but they feel, you know, successful people. And yeah. it's just really cool to have those kind of people. You need them. Not everyone's got them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you, 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 need, it really, you don't need them. That's not true. That isn't true. And people used to talk about get a mentor, get a mentor. Yeah, I've, I've, I've always wondered, like, how do you get these mentors? And I still don't know, but what... It's I'd, a bit creepy. Like, I, I was told the same thing. Mm. And I did a job for a guy uh, who owned a huge company. And we got along really well. He was into surfing and yoga. I'm into yoga and the other board sports. And um, I actually took him out for lunch one day and I asked him to be my mentor. It was very awkward. And, <laughs> and I didn't... It, it didn't end up... He's a great guy and agreed to do it, but didn't end up following through. Mm. A mentor's the person you can call anytime. And I don't know how you find these people. Maybe it's... Um, you know, you need a pimping service kind of thing. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's the person you can call up. Like when I was signing the lease on this little kitchen down here, we had a electrical problem there where it could only handle so much um, input, output. Mm. Um, and so for me to go and put heavier kit in there, we needed to do quite an expensive upgrade. So I started thinking maybe I shouldn't take the place. Call up my mentor, who's 20 years older than me. I'm like, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. He said, well, can you cook there now? I was like, yeah, I can cook there now. Can you cook there next week? Yeah, I can cook there next week. Can you cook there? Like where, you know, what level can you get the business to? And I'm like, well, I think I can get to doing about 200 customers a week with the current setup. What the fuck are you worried about? Sign the lease, get on with it. And I needed somebody. I think sometimes you need that person yeah, yeah, yeah. to give you the confidence that you're doing the right thing. Yeah, for sure. 100%. Last, last couple of things. What was, what's been the biggest challenge so far? Um, in my career? No, in, in, in setting up this brand. Ah, setting up the brand? Um, uh, definitely doing, uh, like the food side for me is really easy. And I think the biggest challenge so far has been, the biggest challenge has just been learning stuff. Like a lot of the things I'm doing, I don't want to outsource it. Uh, so I'm learning to do it. And so realizing when you get to the ceiling of your capability, 
and you're like, shit, you know, it's like one o'clock in the morning and I've been fighting this thing on a, on, like I've been building websites. And when you realize that you, you don't know how to do it and then I'm a, I'm a, I've got a huge amount of persistence, which comes from skateboarding, um, yeah, which yeah. is, it's pretty cool. It's like skateboarding, yeah. someone, uh, not to go off tap here, but someone Instagram recently, my kids started skating, you know, I don't think it was one of my friends. I'm not that keen about it, falling with a rough crowd. And I wrote in this big thing and I was like, skateboarding, you're going to get to look at everything differently. You're going to get to, the biggest thing you learn about skateboarding is it's Fucking hard to do. Yeah, like really hard to do. Yeah, yeah, for it's, sure. It's not easy, man. I it's, can't do it. That is for sure. Well, I started when I was 11. And I still skate now, but I'm very um, wary now because, mm. you know, don't want to hurt myself. But the thing with skating is to learn a trick, which you do when you're younger. You might have to try it at least 100 times. You're going to fall over. You're going to hurt. And you need a lot of persistence. And that, that has come through to cooking as well. But so I have that with um, like setting up this business, for example. I think a lot of... A lot of my friends probably would have gone the other way by now and put it in the too hard basket. But for persistence, stupidity, whatever you want to call it, sheer determination, I just keep fucking going. Yeah, it's like I can't do it, but I'm not going to let it pull me down. Let's yeah. go. I got to. I got to beat it, yeah. and because um, I want to, I want to be able to understand it mostly. I think you need that in business. To be totally honest with you, told me. I think you need. That persistence and drive, otherwise you, you will just keep falling off. If you, you fall, if you give up after the first few falls, you, you're going to... Well, it's yeah. not management material, is it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So how can people find it? How can people find you, follow you, buy your product, whatever, sure, if you're in a, Melbourne? So if you're in Melbourne, we'll probably shoot up to Sydney later this year, I'd say. But if you're in Melbourne, it's madebytoby.com. Uh, and you just order online. Jump on. It's really easy. We've pretty much got every single... Uh, dietary covered in there as well um, so whether you're gluten free you know whatever we've got you vegan pescatarian we've got you covered so I've got a huge I think I've got 30 SKUs now to choose from um, with about another 20 ready to go when's this coming out uh, five four weeks four weeks in that four or five weeks okay I'll probably drop it and then we'll start we've got a kids range I'm working on too oh, nice. um, that's a great idea yeah that's a fucking great idea but you know like little mac and cheese with a few, few hidden veggies and just stuff like that. That's a really, really good idea, actually. I just wanted to create something people, like you don't look on the back of it and the print's so small yeah. because it's full of numbers. Yeah. It's like I almost wanted to brag about the ingredients in there. This only has onion, carrot, celery, bay yeah, leaf, yeah, yeah. that. And just... That's a really good idea, I think. I think that is a phenomenal idea hmm. because I think even people that don't eat yours... Yeah. Your main meal, effectively, potentially would still get the kids, you know. But a lot of people don't understand about what goes in their food anyway. Yeah, yeah. And, they, and like I remember telling somebody that someone asked me why I've done this. And I was like, well, why am I freezing, for example? Well, I worked on a food brand where I did a meal and it had some kale in it. And through a pasteurization process, the kale was losing the chlorophyll. So the reaction to that was to put blue food dye in it, which heightens greens which is very common practice and it's natural food diet. It's not bad for you. It's still the addition of uh, alien-ish ingredient um, for the purpose of making food look like food when it's not after what you've done to it. So yeah. I just wanted to create something where you didn't need to do any of that stuff. I'm not bagging it out. I just didn't want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a market for everyone. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? There's a market for everyone. Well, yeah. listen, it's been awesome talking to you. I've thoroughly enjoyed listening to it. Your career—it's been yeah. yeah, very interesting. Done so many different things, and mm. 
I think what it always boils down, it seems to me that, you, you know, you always, you always do things that interest you and you're always doing things to, that drive you. Do you know what I mean? That's how I feel. Like, you've never, it doesn't seem like you've just done something for the sake of doing it, right? Like, haven't took a job for just for the sake of taking a job. It's always been for some sort of uh, either a downtown or an uptime. It's very interesting. So, Thank good you. for you. Good luck with the business. I, I hope it goes well and, you know, we'll continue being a customer. And, yeah, that's it. Thanks for having me, man. Take it easy. Take it easy. That's all, folks.